All right, let's take our Bibles and turn to the book of Titus, chapter number 1. The book of Titus, chapter number 1. Titus, chapter number 1 and verse number 5. The Bible said, For this cause left I thee in Crete, that thou shouldest set in order the things that are wanting, and ordain elders in every city as I have appointed thee. If any be blameless, the husband of one wife, having faithful children, not accused of right or unruly. For a bishop must be blameless as the steward of God, not self-willed, not soon angry, not given to wine, no striker, not given to filthy lucre, but a lover of hospitality, a lover of good men, sober, just, holy, temperate. Father, I pray that you'll bless now the reading of thy word. May the will of God be done, and we'll thank you for it in Christ's name. Amen. I want to preach on this subject on biblical leadership. Biblical leadership. Paul is writing to Titus here in this epistle as we've already seen. And as Paul is writing to Titus, he makes his agenda clear in verse number 5. As he writes to him, we see Paul's purpose in mind. He said, for this cause. So Paul had a cause in writing to Titus. He wanted to encourage him in his greeting. But the greater cause here is that what Paul is about to lay out uh, in this in verse number 5. So we see Paul, uh, he had a purpose in mind. Paul had a place in mind. As he mentions Creed, he said, For this cause left I thee in Crete. So Paul uh, not only has a purpose, but he has a place. And then Paul has a plan. He said that thou shouldest set in order. Now this phrase, set in order, is a medical term. And it's used uh, to... Uh, to imply the setting uh, of a crooked limb. In other words, Paul is sending Titus here to Crete to straighten some things out, some things that are crooked. He wants him to straighten these things out. So we see Paul's purpose in verse number 5. We see his place. We see his plan. But then his perspective, as he said, set things in order that are wanting. Paul sees that there's things lacking. In other words, he didn't send Titus down to Crete just to straighten the church out or straighten things out. But Paul sent him down there with the perspective that he saw things that were lacking. He saw things that were wanting. And Paul had a desire for Titus to go down and straighten those things out. That was Paul's perspective. And then his position to, as he said, to ordain elders and, and the perimeter in every city. Paul had a perimeter in mind. He had a position in mind. He wanted Titus to to go and ordain elders in this, in this text. And then we see his pattern. As he said in verse number 5, as I had appointed thee. In other words, uh, Paul is not sending Titus down there to straighten the church out, this young preacher with what he thinks ought to be done, but he's given him specific details, or he's going to give him uh, specific details and instructions on how he's to carry this out, what he is supposed to do, and we'll see that as we uh, read uh, further into this text here. So he's left him in Crete uh, that he should set in order the things that are wanting and ordain elders in every city as he has appointed him to do so. And so we consider that Paul is, uh, is emphasizing in these verses that we've read biblical leadership. Now biblical leadership is something that is needed and it's something that's being neglected in our day. When you look at churches all across our country, we see the need and we see the neglect of biblical leadership. Men that are standing in pulpits that are not qualified to be men of God. And where there's leadership lacking on, on not just in the pulpit, but even within the, the church, unqualified leaders and people uh, that are holding positions that ought not to be holding positions. Paul wanted to straighten that out. 
And I think that, uh, that the church needs to have a qualified man in the pulpit and then that man is responsible to make sure that he has qualified people that are teaching Sunday school and filling uh, positions within the church that, that, ought to be for, that ought to be filled. Now, there may be some things that a pastor has to live with for a while and we, we understand that, but as those, uh, as those places come open, he ought to fill them with qualified people. And so Paul uh, is going to give him instructions concerning biblical leadership. Biblical leadership has to do uh, with three key areas as we'll see in this text here and I want to give them to you uh, here in this message. First of all, I want you to see that biblical uh, leadership has to do with a man's family. Look at verse number 6. He said, If any be blameless, but husband of one wife, having faithful children, not accused of right, or unruly. So biblical leadership has to do with a man and his family. In other words, when you call a man to be a pastor of a church, you're not just looking at that man, but you're looking at his family. As Paul is going to deal with that man here and his family in verse number 6, we see that first of all, Paul deals with his person. He said, if any be blameless. You know, a pastor ought to be blameless. He can't be sinless. He can't be perfect. I think sometimes uh, uh, too much can be expected out of a pastor. People can forget that a pastor is human. He can't be in uh, more than one place at one time and his body wears out and he gets tired just like everybody else. The only difference is it's a 24-7, uh, three, 365 days a year job. And any pastor that's worth his salt loves it. He loves the ministry and he loves his people. <clears throat> but what I'm saying is he cannot be perfect. He's going to make mistakes. And when he makes mistakes, that's when people ought to show mercy. They ought to show forgiveness. And, and they ought to not bring his mistakes back up. Oftentimes, preachers and their wives and their families have been hurt, not because of all the things they did right for all the years that they did it right, but because of the one thing or two, thing that they, two things that they've done wrong that seemingly gets brought up again. And people, uh, they're, they're quick to want to be forgiven and forgotten when it's on their end. But when it comes to the man of God, his wife, or his family, oftentimes they want to bring that up. But having said all of that, that does not take the responsibility off a pastor's shoulders that he's to live a blameless life. That means that his character and his conduct, uh, listen, does matter. He ought to be a person of integrity. He ought to be respected in the community. He ought to be respected in the church. And I want to say to a pastor, while we desire that and while we want that, we have to live our life in a respectable manner. We can't demand it, but we can live it. And by example, people will see that in our life. And so... A pastor, uh, he deals with his person, that he's to be blameless. Men of God are to be blameless. We're to be careful and prayerful how we live our life. There are some things that we're not to engage in. There's some things that we're not to do. It may not be sinful, and it may not even be wrong, but I'll tell you what it is. It's not becoming of the office or the position of the pastor. And if you're a true pastor, if you're a true man of God, then you'll have a desire to protect that office, to, to, to protect that position in church. You have to remind yourself every single day that you're the pastor, that you're, you're the man of God. It doesn't, I don't mean that in a way to build ourselves up or to lift ourselves up by no means, but we ought to remind yourself every day that, that you're not somebody that just sits in that pew, that you're not just a member of the church. And while they ought to be conducting themselves in a, in a blameless manner as well, the Bible says that in Philippians 2 that we are to be blameless and harmless the sons of God. So every child of God is to be blameless. But we as men of God, we've got to protect the position of a pastor. We're, we're to be a, it has to do with his family concerning his own person. And then concerning 
uh, his partner. Notice he said he must be blameless, or he must be, if any man be blameless, the husband of one wife. Now, just before I say that, I want to say this right here. When it comes to that matter of being blameless, I also want to mention it not only has to do with being blameless in the community and blameless in the church, but even blameless with his own family. He mentions the wife and the children here in this text and how they view us as, as men of God is very important. I do not want to have the confidence of the church and lose the confidence of my wife and the confidence of my children. And a sad commentary on a lot of preachers is, is while their church members think they're wonderful people, their children and their spouse knows who they really are and how they really live. I want to be the same at home as I am at the church. And so we see it has to do with the person, but it has to do with this partner. He talks about the husband of one wife. Now there's no other way to divide that but that a pastor ought to be the husband of one wife. He ought to have one wife. Uh, Listen, the Bible talks about uh, and teaches uh, God brought Eve to Adam. And uh, listen, God's plan from the beginning was, was, was one man and one woman for one lifetime. And I know what the Bible says in other places about uh, being free to marry and all of that, but we're not talking about that at the moment. We're talking about the qualification of a pastor. We're talking about that he's not to have two living wives. He's not to be uh, divorced and remarried. It's just very plain and very simple that if he's going to be blameless, then he's going to be, he's going to be the husband of one wife. And it deals with his partner. And thank God for a good wife that will stand behind her husband, that will stand behind her pastor. And I would say to every church, you ought to thank God for your pastor, but you ought to thank God for your preacher's wife. You ought to thank God for your pastor's wife. You ought to protect her and love her. Don't let other people run over her. So I'm going to tell you what's going to happen in the ministry and does happen in the ministry when people get upset at the man of God. And there are those that love the preacher and there's those that don't love the preacher. And when people get upset at the pastor, listen, you know who they're going to go after? They're going to go after his wife. They're going to go after his children. You say, well, preacher, I would never do that. Maybe you wouldn't. But think about those who have. You say, well, how are they going to go after him? Or go after her, go after the children by saying things, by slander, by criticism, by trying to take their place and their position. It's not that the pastor or his wife feels threatened by that. Any pastor worth his salt knows that God's going to take care of him and God will take care of them. But I'll tell you, the, the wounds that, that the pastor's wife and that his, his children bear oftentimes is because uh, people slander and go after them. And that partner, thank God for a wife, she'll, she'll have to take much. And I would say to a, a preacher's wife, a pastor's wife, you've got to have some thick skin. You've got to as you stand behind that man of God, they're going to be those that they're just not going to like you because they don't like him. And that's because they don't like the truth. But you've got, to, you've got to stand by your man. You've got to stand behind him and support him and love him and, and be a help and be an encouragement. But he's to be the husband of one wife. Now that pastor is to not forget his wife in the process as he cares for the church. He's to put her in the forefront. He's a husband before he's a pastor. And he's to love that wife and he's got a responsibility. Don't abandon her. Don't leave her to herself and don't leave her alone. You're to, you're to cherish her and you're to, you're to work as hard to love her after you get her as you did before you got her. And you're to, you're to support her. And, and I'll tell you, she needs that in the ministry. And preachers' wives, they need love and they need encouragement. But more amongst anybody else, they need it from their pastor, their husband, their man of God. And so he has to be a family man. It has to do with his person. It has to do uh, with his partner and then it has to, uh, to, to him as a partner and then it has to do with him as, as a parent. Notice what he said, having faithful children 
not accused of right or unruly. A man of God, a pastor, when you think about this, he's to have faithful children. That word faithful means believing children. And I understand that, uh, that you can witness and, you can, and you, there, there are great men of God that have, have, have prayed and lived for God, have been great examples, and their children go astray or not even get saved. And I know at the end of the day those young people have, have choices to make, but when they're young and when they're coming up in that home, uh, you're to have faithful children. You're to teach them. They're, they're to know of the faith and they're to understand the faith and you're to train them in the faith. And that's what people ought to see out of a pastor is that, is that he's investing in the life of his own children, that he's not neglecting them, that he's not leaving them to themselves. But he, while he's instructing and training and teaching the congregation, he's also tre- teaching his children. He's also training his children uh, as, a, as a father figure in the home and that he's loving his children and spending time with his children. And, and they're to be, not to be accused of riot or unruly. In other words, the pastor's kids shouldn't run all over the church and reap havoc in the church. They ought to be, they ought to be examples in the youth group. They ought to, listen, uh, the, the, parents, uh, uh, they ought, the parents in the church ought to not be afraid for their children to be around your children. As a pastor, you say, well, that's a lot of responsibility, but that's the responsibility of a pastor, that his children are not to be accused of right or unruly. Now, some old backslid saint may try to look for something and criticize them about something, but uh, listen, I'm talking about the overwhelming evidence and the overwhelming testimony of the church is that his children are faithful. They're not unruly. Whenever a pastor talks to his children, they ought to be obedient. They ought to be in submission unto his authority because he's the authority figure in the church, and he's to rule that house well, and that doesn't mean with an iron fist, but that means to, to rule them through leadership, through, 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 through nurturing them and loving them and being the example and through having a, a plan as a father, a plan as a, as a husband and, and taking them in the direction that God ha- has laid out and, and that he's spending time and training and teaching. That's what a pastor does to his congregation and failure to do that in your own home is a disqualification uh, to be a pastor in a church. And so he, uh, one of the key areas is he's to, it has to do with, with, his, with, with, the, with a man's family. Then in verse number 7, it has to do with a man's flesh. He said, for a bishop must be blameless as the steward of God, not self-willed, not soon angry, not given to wine, no striker, not given to filthy lucre. In other words, uh, in verse number 7, when we think about it, it has to do with his flesh, it tells us here uh, what he cannot be in his flesh. And then it tells us what he's supposed to be, what he must be in his flesh in verse number 8. Verse 7, what he cannot be in the flesh. Verse 8, what he's supposed to be in the flesh. And we think about uh, this key area having to do with this man's flesh. Remember, he uses the word in verse number 7 as he talks about the steward of God. You know, when you think about a steward, Paul called himself a servant of God. And now he's talking about this pastor as the steward of God. A steward uh, does not own anything, but he manages uh, all that the master puts into his hands. And that's what being a pastor is. We don't own the church. We, we don't own the congregation. We don't own people's lives, but we're a steward of God. God has placed people in their homes in, in our hands, and we're to help guide them and manage the church and manage their lives. That doesn't mean that we know all their business. It doesn't mean that we get into their personal business because every husband is, is the priest of his own home, and he's to lead, and he's to guide his home. I don't think the pastor ought to uh, 
being, uh, uh, diving into the finances of, of individuals' lives and making uh, personal decisions that, has the, that the husband is supposed to make. But as the, the steward of God over the church, over the, over the congregation, uh, he is to manage that as God leads him and directs him. But if he's going to do that, he's going to have to know how to, to manage his own flesh. Amen? You think about it in our text here. He's not to be accused. The Bible said for a bishop, again, he says he must be blameless. He's got to be blameless as a family man. But he's got to be blameless in his own flesh here. For a bishop must be blameless. He's not to be accused. He's not to be aggressive, not self-willed. Now, when you think about that word uh, self-willed, it means to be overbearing. A pastor's not to be overbearing. In other words, uh, he's not to be uh, all about aggressive, all about himself. Got to have his way or the highway. I think as a pastor, we're to stand our ground. And we're to stand on the Word of God. And when it comes to, to, to making a, a stand on the Word of God, it's got to be according to uh, what thus saith the Lord. But a pastor's got to be flexible. He's got to, be, uh, he's got to have some compassion. He's got, to, he's got to not be overbearing, not self-willed. And there's a lot of men in the ministry that, that it's all about them. It's all about self. It's all about what they think and what they want. You know, a pastor has to understand at times he can be wrong and he will be wrong. He, he has to understand... At times that, that he may see it one way and the church may see it another way. Now, at the end of the day, whatever's biblical is what should be done. And the responsibility is on the pastor's shoulders. And as long as he's making decisions in, in the bounds of the Scripture uh, and, and, that, and that has been prayed over, the church ought to follow him. But that pastor ought to take that very seriously. He ought to not be self-willed. He ought to put God's will in front of his own will. You know, there's times that I've wanted to do things... That God said, you can't do that. And they weren't wrong things. They weren't sinful things. It's what I thought ought to be done. It's what I thought should be right. But the Holy Spirit would say, no, that's not what I want. It's not my will. So don't be self-willed. Don't, don't do something just because you think you can. Do, pray about it and follow the leadership of the Holy Spirit. That's so important. And so he's not to be accused. He, he's, not to, he's to be blameless. He's not to be aggressive, overbearing, self-willed. He, he's not to be angry. Notice what he says here, not soon angry. Now the Bible tells us uh, that we're to be angry and sin not. We're to be angry about the things that God is angry about. We're not to let the sun go down upon our wrath. We're, you can be angry. We're not to stay uh, anger. We're not to, in other words, that, that's what it's saying here when it talks about not soon angry. It means don't be prone to anger. In other words, don't be a hothead. Don't be someone that's short-fused. Don't be someone that uh, everybody's got to tippy-toe around and they've got to be careful what they say. Uh, that's, not, that's not what a real pastor is. He, he's not to be aggressive. He's not to be angry. You know, I, I see some men in the pulpit, and they've got the right sermon. They just got the wrong spirit. Oh, they're preaching the truth, but they're preaching the truth with the wrong spirit. And you can be angry at sin. I think we got to be careful that when we're up preaching that we make sure that our indignation is righteous indignation. Be angry about what God's angry about. Be upset about what God's upset about. But don't let your feelings, don't let your flesh overtake you and let anger. Don't get mad at some church member and get in the pulpit and take the Bible and use it as a, as a hatchet on them. I mean, listen, we may preach the truth and it may hit people and they may, they may not always enjoy what's being said, but a real man of God loves his people 
He loves his congregation and he never gets joy out of rebuking the congregation. Now, there's times when as a preacher, you just have to tell it like it is. And, and there are times as a preacher, you have to get real personal with your congregation and maybe address an issue. But I'll tell you, there ought to never be joy in that because a true man of God is not prone to anger. He's not to be an alcoholic. Notice the Bible says he's not given to wine. A man of God ought to abstain uh, from, from alcohol. You know, I, you would think you would never have to preach that or say that. But the day we're living in, uh, preachers, there are preachers that think it's okay to drink the devil's brew. They think it's okay to drink uh, beer, or drink alcohol, or drink wine as long as it's just, uh, as long as you don't get drunk, as long as it's just social drinking or something like that. I want to tell you something. If you drink one beer, if you drink, uh, listen, you get alcohol in your system, you're drunk to some degree. I mean, it has some effect on you. And so the Bible says here that he's to, not to, he's not given to wine. And then he's not to be, uh, he's not to attack. He's, he's, uh, the Bible says no striker. A man of God to be a, a man of compassion he's to turn the other cheek. He's not to, he's not to be one that, uh, that is a brawler. That, in other words he's not to bully his way through life. He, he's not to be one that, that, that attacks others. And I'll tell you as men of God we've got to be careful uh, that we hold our peace. That we, we contain ourselves and, and we can be angry but still not attack people. Amen. There's times when I've been upset and angry at the things people have done and uh, the way that they've been living their life but I knew that I couldn't just take the Bible or just come and attack them. Uh, there's been times when I I knew, and every pastor can say this, there's times when people uh, you knew were talking about you, you knew they were criticizing you, but you couldn't say anything. To attack those that criticize you is to become like them. And as men of God, we're just to be faithful. We're just to be steadfast. We're just to take it and keep on going. You say, well, it's not right when people attack you. God will take care of them. Just keep preaching the Bible. Be consistent. Be faithful. He's not to attack. And then he's not to be attracted to gain. Look what he said. Not given to filthy lucre. In other words, preachers, we're to manage our flesh. We're not to be in it for the money. I'll tell you, there's a lot of preachers today, if you was to take their paycheck away, they would find them another profession. But real men of God... We're not, we're not altered by paycheck. It, it, we're not moved. We're not motivated by a, a amount of money. Don't you thank God for, for churches? And I thank God for, for people that want to take care of their pastor. And thank God for a church that, that is sensitive to their needs and, and wants to make sure that they're taken care of. Thank God for a church that wants to take care of their future and help plan. And I would say to any church, you ought to love your pastor. Take care of your pastor. You ought to pay for your pastor. I say that in every church I go and pray for your pastor, but pay for him. Take care of his financial needs. Take care of his wife's needs. Take care of his children's needs. Give him, give him a, a, a raise. Give him a, give him a good salary. And as much as the church is, is capable of doing. And make sure that his hospital bills are taken care of. And, and put gas in his tank. And, and so forth and so on. Be good to him. You say, why would we want to do that? Because he watches for your soul. And God will be good to you. And you don't have to worry about a pastor getting rich. But take care of him. But on the other side of that, we as men of God, we're not to be freeloaders. We're not to be standing there with our hand out expecting something. Whatever the church decides to do for us, we ought to appreciate it but never expect it. We're not to complain and criticize. You say, well, well, I have to work a job and pastor a church. Well, if that's God's will, then just be happy and go on and work your job and, and pray. And, and if the church, if that's all they can do, then, then just be faithful if that's where God puts you. It's not all about financial gain. And we have to beware that whenever we get those crispy handshakes that it don't alter 
where we stand and what we say, that we're faithful to preach the Word of God. A man of God, he's not to be attracted to gain. When you come to verse number 8 here, he talks about in verse number 8 that he's to be a lover of hospitality, a lover of good men, sober, just, holy, and temperate. Now think about this. He's to have a charitable life. The Bible says here that he's to be a lover of hospitality. He's to, he's to have a charitable life. I think men of God ought to be approachable. They ought to, they ought to have a loving spirit and, a, and they ought to have a, a gentle side to them. When they stand in the pulpit, they ought to preach like a lion. But I'll tell you, when they stand at the back door, they ought to be gentle. They ought to be caring. They ought to be compassionate. They ought to be a charitable side to them. They ought to, be, they ought to have a, comp, a complimentary life. They, they ought to be a lover of good men. And that means that a man is known by the company that he keeps. He, he ought to surround himself with good men and, and he ought to have a testimony with good men. They ought, he ought to have a consistent life. He ought to be uh, sober and that means to be sound-minded. Uh, a man of God ought to have consistency about his thought process and, and about, his, about his communication. He ought to have a consecrated life. He ought to be just. That, that has the idea of doing what is right. You know, you ought to not question. You ought to know that your pastor is going to do what is right to the best of his ability. He ought to have that integrity, that testimony. And as men of God, the only way we can have that is to, is to do what's right. You can't have people think about you if that's not how you do. And here, uh, he ought to be just. He ought to do right no matter who it is and no matter what it is. Some decisions are difficult to make. But it's not difficult if we think about this. We always have to do what is right. Not what others think is right. But what the Bible says is right. Sometimes that's, that, that is difficult. He ought to have a clean life. He ought to be holy. You know, I thought about there are men of God. But then there are holy men of God. And I don't know what kind of uh, pastor, what kind of preacher you want to be. But I don't know about you, but I want to be a holy man of God. There are men that I think of. I know no doubt they're called to preach. No doubt they're, they're God's man. The problem is they're not holy. Then there are men that when they come to our mind, we know that's a holy man of God. That's a man of prayer. That's a man that, that walks with God. That's a man that stays in the Word of God. That's a man that lives clean. He, he lives, he's not your average Joe. He's not trying to, to be popular. He's not trying to do things to get the attention of people. He just walks with God and stays faithful. And he lives. He, he ought to have a clean life. And then he ought to have a controlled life. He ought to be temperate. He ought to have self-control. That's something that's missing in a lot of, of, of our pulpits, preachers today with no self-control. Self-control means discipline. It means uh, doing the same thing, doing the right thing. It means saying no to the flesh. And, and here he deals with these areas. He's to be, it has to do with his family. It has to do with his flesh. And then let me say this in closing in verse number 9. It has to do with his faithfulness. He said, he said holding fast the faithful word as he hath been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and to convince the, the gainsayer. In other words, unfaithful men are not qualified to lead. And unqualified men will never make good leaders. I want to say if a man is going to be a, a pastor, if he's going to provide biblical leadership, then he has to be a faithful man. It has to do with his family. It has to do with his flesh. But verse 9 is very clear. Holding fast 
the faithful word as he hath been taught. It has to do with his faithfulness. That means that faithful men will endure. They'll hold fast. Faithful men will expound the, the faithful word as he hath been taught. Faithful men will exhort by sound doctrine, both to exhort. Faithful men will expose and to convince the gainsayers. That's what faithful men do. They hold fast. They hold fast what they have been taught. I I don't want to give up the things that older men of God have taught me from the Bible. In a day of compromise when preachers are changing, they used to be this way and now they're this way. It doesn't matter what they say. The fact is we know they change. They can say they've learned better. They can say that they have been enlightened and all them different kinds of things. But the fact of the matter is everybody before them did not have it wrong. All them holy men of God that stood faithful. Listen, you mean to tell me Harold B. Siler didn't have it wrong. Oliver B. Green didn't have it wrong. Lester Roloff didn't have it wrong. Listen, these, these preachers that have compromised, they want to say, well now, all these years I've seen something different that I didn't see it that way before. They may see it different, but the Bible that they've been looking at all them years is saying the same thing that it was saying before. And those men of God that came before, they didn't have it wrong. They had it right and thank God for that and we need to hold fast the faithful word as we have been taught and be able by sound doctrine that's how you exhort and you convince the gainsayers is through faithfulness and we need men of God that'll be faithful we need real biblical leadership in these last days and if you're a pastor that's listening I pray that God will put it in your heart to, to evaluate your own life I need to evaluate my life as men of God and let's be let's, let's, let's tighten the reins even more Let's provide, let's be good examples in these last days as others are falling by the ranks and changing course. Let's you and I hold fast. Let's you and I be faithful. Don't, don't quit. Don't give in and don't change course in these last days because if there's ever been a time that our people sitting in the pews, they need to see that consistency. It's today. It, be the same thing, be the same preacher, the same pastor 20 years from now that you are today. And I don't mean that in the sense that I know that we grow and we learn and we, we, we ought to have depths and uh, depth to our, our preaching and we ought to and to our pastoring and we, we grow by experience. I understand all that. But I'm talking about the principles, the foundation, the standards. You stay faithful to that and you make your mind up that you're going to consistently work to provide biblical leadership for your church, for your family, and for your flesh that you're going to be that example that God would have you to be. Our Heavenly Father... Thank you for the message. I pray that you'll speak to hearts. Lord, I pray right now if there is a, a pastor or a preacher that may be struggling, maybe they're thinking about uh, giving in or going another way, help them to realize the weight and the responsibility we have as pastors to provide the right type of leadership. That that's what this country, that's what our churches are starving to death for, is for men that will fill the pulpits and lead that congregation in the direction that they need to go. Lord, I pray that you'll strengthen those who'll be listening. Have your will and have your way. In Christ's name we do pray. Amen.